can we eventually create some kind of center um, that can help people through through workshops, courses, and like a, a peaceful environment? Welcome to Best in Fest, and I'm Leslie Lapage, the director of the La Femme International Film Festival, and this is a podcast for people who are interested in advancing their career in TV and film and learning all the dirty little secrets of Hollywood and learning from these experts that I have on the show. I'm very pleased to have a guest today uh, named Sadvi Sadali Shri, and she is really quite spectacular, if I may say so. She's a North American Jane female monk. She's a U.S. Army Iraqi veteran, international speaker, author, documentarian, and activist for social justice. She actually has her background in web development, marketing, video production, and book publishing. But, uh, you know, really uh, an interesting thing that she's been doing since 2008. She has served as the spiritual director of the Sadi Atan Tirth uh, Spiritual Retreat, a 250-acre retreat, uh, ashram, monastery, and meditation park near Dallas, Texas. Uh, more importantly, she's really making a difference in filmmaking with Stopping Traffic and Surviving Sex Trafficking. Uh, surviving Sex Trafficking was released earlier earlier this year in 2022. She's got a current uh, film out for the annals. We're going to talk all about that. And we've seen her and we've had her featured on CNN, Good Morning America, TMZ, Newsweek, Associated Press, Deadline Hollywood, and so much more. Welcome to Best and Fest. Thank you, Leslie. So honored to join you today. <laughs> well, you know, I, I have to start off with the whole Iraqi... <laughs> turned monk like what um you know usually you don't hear that so let's let's start there and then we'll migrate into totally. your filmmaking <laughs> sounds good right i even brought a camera to iraq so imagine that <laughs> wow wow yeah. so what what did what first of all got you in to the united you know military services what you know, called you to that and what happened during that section of your life? Yeah, it's, um, I mean, it's a, it's a big story. Um, I had gone through a lot of things while I was in high school and, um, my dad served in the military. My grandfather was in the military and I was part of JROTC in high school, which is like a, like a military, um, class type in, in the high school. And I really loved it. And I, I was very drawn towards it. I loved the discipline. I loved, um, just the formations, the uniforms, like it just, they just kind of alluded like that. Just, I don't know, this like respect kind of a thing. And um, I signed up um, in high school after 9-11 happened. So something inside of me just wanted to, one, go out and find myself, help other people, um, also pay for college and military just felt at home for me. So um I had no idea when I signed up that I would actually be going to war until I was in medic school. Um, I know. I mean, I was 18, right? No one knows. And, 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 and they told me, hey, you're going to be a nurse because I wanted to be a nurse. And I ended up being basically like a EMT in the civilian world, which is not a nurse. So they promised me one thing, went in, um, you know, under a different idea, but it, in retrospect, you know, it, it gave me so much experience and, you know, going to Iraq was just, 
just a, a very big experience for me that really changed my life, seeing negativity, living in negativity, um, seeing violence, witnessing it, um, and being part of it. So um, in that sense, it helped. Even though I was already on the spiritual path, it, or, it was already, you know, I wanted to, you know, bring peace into the world. War doesn't need to be happening, but we have to work on ourselves first. Right. Well, first of all, thank you for going into the military. Uh, you know, there's still not a lot of quantity of women that choose that path. So for you to have gone out and participated and then come back is really a remarkable thing in itself. When you were there, is that when it really struck you to to really decide, okay, when my term is up when my when I'm done with this element I, I want to go into a more spiritual uh, uh, uh you know life calling how, how did that what was that moment for you totally um I was already on the spiritual path already practicing yoga meditation um my spiritual teacher um was based in, in Riverside California so I was already visiting an ashram and and gaining um that kind of understanding but I remember when I was out there um, I don't know what particular moment, um, but just something inside of me, I think it was just building that, you know, I want to do something more with my life. What can I do? My teacher is a monk. Maybe this is a direction, you know, I want to go in uh, because w what I see him doing, helping other people through spirituality, like I, I just felt that kind of fire grow inside of me. But I remember one time calling my teacher while I was out there and um, I was really down, um, depressed, and just angry with what was going on. And he lifted up my spirits and he says, you know, uh, military, military training is monk training, right? And I'm like, what? <laughs> you know? And he's like, well, you know, right, right? <laughs> I know, right? Um, right, right? Um, but, you know, that you, you sleep wherever you need to sleep. You eat whatever you need to eat. There's that discipline. There's, there's rules to follow. Um, so in that aspect, you know, I was already being trained in that way, um, in the mental aspect because the spiritual path is not easy. You know, you have to look within yourself, overcome your fears, phase yourself, dissolve your anger and so forth. Um, the military does not provide the spiritual aspect, but you know, it has some kind of guidelines training um, that help prepare me for this life. Right, right. The, it focuses more on the physical training, not necessarily the spiritual, spiritual aspect of it. So you were able to take that physical discipline that you learned and bring that over and then utilize that to kind of enhance your spiritual and mental um, capabilities? Yeah, I was actually just thinking about this the other day, Leslie, um, how difficult it is to say goodbye. I was thinking about my goodbyes going to Iraq. I didn't know whether I was going to be coming back uh, home again. And um, even in the process of renunciation, you know, we take vows. Basically, you are renouncing the world. You're not striving to be rich, famous, not so attached to your family. Doesn't mean you don't stop loving them and you don't uh, stop talking to them, but it's just kind of the, the switch in lifestyle. So it was like saying goodbye to my family, going to war and the same thing, saying goodbye to my family, my friends and my old lifestyle to enter the monk life. And I was, I was like, wow, goodbyes are hard. <laughs> is it, is it, is it a, a loss goodbye? You know, a, a definite of, of your, you're going through a grieving process of a goodbye or how, how is that 
How was that loss facilitated in that goodbye for you? I think the loss was more felt um, going to Iraq because I didn't know um, I was going to come back home. With the monk life, I knew I would be in touch. Um, so it was more not a, a loss, but an actual freedom in the sense that um, looking at my family and, and my friends, you know, I have those relationships, but the whole world is my family. The whole world um, is my friend. So it actually expands the feeling, not just limiting unconditional love to the select people that I know, but extending it to all living beings. And so, um, there's that freedom in that sense. And, um, you know, with family and friends, when we hear, uh, the difficulties they go through, you don't take it on as your own anymore. So you create like a distance and space. So you actually are, more you know in conversation you're coming from a more peaceful place a more just you have a little bit more vision instead of getting sucked into things or having expectations and then when there's expectations like oh why are you not acting a certain way so then you get angry well that's the opposite of what the lifestyle you know i wanted to to have right right um really really interesting is you mentioned about letting go of that you know anger i think a lot of people could would be listening in um, that would serve their lives if they could let go of that, you know, anger. I know as a mom and a mother of one, <laughs> that's definitely, definitely something, you know, you got to work on as a parent. Um, but you said you took a camera to Iraq. So when you were there, did you, do you feel that that kernel of filmmaking starting to emerge uh, what was the use of the camera for you in Iraq? Was it a cathartic thing or really a documentation thing? It was more of a documentation thing. And, and um, when I was in high school, part of the GROTC class was um, our, our instructor. He really wanted to get into media. So I actually helped produce our first um, TV show. And I was the anchor. And so I started getting exposed to, well, I hated being in front of the camera. I was so scared. Um, I was like, give me the script. I need a script. I can't do this <laughs> alone. But just, I love the camera. I love the setup. I love the, the teamwork, the crew and seeing things come to life. And then, you know, we're sharing a message um, across, you know, our entire high school um, and they're getting the news and, and all of these things. So um, in a way, uh, like the TV class, because it was, it initially started as an after school program. It really saved my life because I was going through a lot, um, at home. So I didn't want to go back home. So, you know, spending time with the camera and learning how to edit and learning how to produce, um, you know, it became like a, just a part of me, but I didn't realize I would do something with it. I just found it more as an escape. A creative escape. So uh, when when I went to Iraq, I just had that thought like, hey, just record, you know, whatever you can. Right. So when you came home and you decided to really follow that spiritual path, you ended up uh, getting uh, create becoming a, a, a director, right, of this ashram in Dallas. Can you tell us how that happened and what that's really all about? And how, if at all, that added to your filmmaking? 
Coming back from Iraq was not easy. I, I had a lot of PTSD and I turned to my teacher for breathing techniques, guidance to help me get through it and doing his Purnam yoga system for four to six months. I actually found myself again, found my voice because for a good chunk of time, it was scary not to know myself. And I had promised myself going to Iraq, I'm not going to lose myself. I'm, I'm going to meditate out there. I'm going to keep my peace. And then, you know, it's blown away. Literally it's, it's, um, it, you lose yourself out there. So coming back home was a very big thing. And just getting that direction uh, from my teacher, it, it was like I, I wanted to share all of these things with the rest of the world, you know, helping veterans, helping other people, because people have anger, people have um, fears, people have trauma. So can we eventually create some kind of center um, that can help people through through workshops, courses, and like a, a peaceful environment. And so before meeting my teacher, I had visited um, a retreat center and I just remember loving the feeling. So um, just talking to my teacher about it, you know, we came up with the idea like, okay, like let's, let's start a retreat center and let's start helping people. So through that process, coming back from Iraq, I went to school for communications and I was just already by then I was dead set on becoming a monk. And I was just like, I'm going to finish school as quickly as possible. So I finished my degree in two and a half years, two weeks later, I take my vows two days later, we're already starting a nonprofit organization. So, um, and just 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 a quick like um, uh, uh, just a funny part. Um, I almost didn't get to the part of making my vows because I almost failed Buddhism class. <laughs> so, <laughs> because uh, <laughs> you know, there's, a lot, there's a lot of jokes. There's a lot of jokes I could do on that. Just, just yeah. on failing Buddhism. <laughs> And I, it was because of lack of attendance, but I was just so, you know, I was like, oh, I can get this. I can, you know, do the test. And I got my A's in, in that regard. But um, the attendance part, I'm like, oh, my goodness. And so I emailed uh, my teacher and I said, I'm actually going to be a monk. I'm moving to an ashram, please. And he's like, oh, I made a mistake. I'm so sorry. So I was just like, oh, so grateful. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. That's funny. Uh, that's funny. So, um, so, so it's really interesting that, that you were able to pull yourself out of the PTSD mental, um, debilitating, um, issue that that causes through your spiritual guidance. And, you know, that's, that's really an untalked about thing because of course the medical field likes to throw drugs and that solution, which isn't really a long-term fix. It's a short-term band-aid. So, you know, congratulations that you were able to, to successfully rehabilitate yourself. So in that rehabilitation, where did the filmmaking kernel come into being? Because your filmmaking is very interesting in that it has a, a very strong social component to it, dealing with human trafficking. You know, I've got a pilot on human trafficking, so I understand a lot of what's going on in the world. Uh, but let's talk about making that jump, that leap going over to filmmaking. What was that like for you? I, I loved being behind the camera. I was always filming my teacher and posting his videos to YouTube, but that was a very 
you know, it's straight to camera, not storytelling. It's recording my teacher and him sharing his teachings, which I enjoyed, you know, sharing that uh, with the rest of the world. Um, how it jumped into filmmaking was when um, a few years back, I had watched the movie called The Whistleblower. And that's when I learned about human trafficking. And I remember watching it and I was crying, just the visuals. I just deeply felt this pain. And I remember just crying and telling my teacher, like, I want to do something about this one day. This is overwhelming. And I'm like, I want to do something right now. And he said, you know, it's it's actually not the right time. And I'm like, okay, but I just had no idea. And I think it was about one or two years later after that, I relived my own childhood sexual abuse trauma and I had forgotten about it. So going through the whole experience, feeling the shame, feeling the dirtiness, feeling this, and it was that same exact pain I was feeling when I watched that human trafficking movie. And so um, so that was really huge because it was like PTSD all over again in a different way because when I was six, I just suppressed it. I wanted to forget about it um, because I wanted to be normal and I was threatened that if you tell anybody, I'm going to kill you. So it was gone. It was out of me until um, that time. And then um, a few years after that experience, um, I was thinking of going to the Philippines and, and visiting some of my family and I thought, well, you know, I want to do something while I'm out there. You know, I always want to help people. And I was thinking of, okay, well, what are the things I really want to focus on? So I was thinking helping children, helping women, women's empowerment, um, and then human trafficking. And I'm like, wait, wait a minute. This, then it started to, you know, generate inside of me. And, and then I thought, well, maybe I can record my trip. And then it became, maybe I can make a documentary. And then that was it because that freaked me out. <laughs> like, I am not in the position to make a documentary. I am not a filmmaker. I did not go to school. I have a few semesters, you know, um, in high school, but um, it was a very, very big leap for me. And I was just so grateful for my teacher to give us the blessing that myself and another monk could go on this journey and um, doing these films because for us, anything we do there's always the spirituality there's always the compassion there's always that that heart to help people so i couldn't even think of another issue that i felt so deeply about and passionate about than human human trafficking at the time and so uh, we got behind the camera went to google youtube figured it out and um, started rolling the camera <laughs> and that was stop trafficking correct that was your first sorry stopping traffic um and surviving sex trafficking uh, so now you've gone into where you have created this which has now been released how did you get from finishing this to the release point um on the the uh, distribution model how did that happen for you so with Stopping Traffic, uh, we went the, the film festival route and a producer rep or sales agent found us and uh, we connected there and it was great insight into the, the distribution aspect because we were just happy that one, we made a film and then we were just surprised we were actually getting awards for it. And then, then we started talking about distribution and we ended up getting picked up by Gravitas and that was a good start. We were very happy. We were satisfied and, and like that was a big thing for 
a non-filmmaker monk, right? And then, <laughs> yeah. And then with surviving sex trafficking, we, we learned from our first film and then we decided to find a different um, sales agent, Espresso Media International. And I remember um, going through the process of pitching, I don't know, hundreds of different sales agents and producer reps and just trying to just go a different path and also find the right person and find the right group that would fight for the film. And so Espresso was amazing. And, um, and they, you know, they did all the marketing and, and they started pitching and, and they did their best. And we ended up getting picked up by stars. And, um, you know, because they're international, they're already selling the film in, in Germany and other other countries. So, I mean, it was a huge step for us. Again, when we got the stars announcement, again, like I still don't consider myself a filmmaker because I'm just a monk trying to do something good in the world. Um, but just knowing that the story, the message, the impact is reaching so many, like that was the most important thing. And especially sharing the survivor stories um, because it was their way to help prevent future pain. Uh, let me just jump back for a second. So you, just to get this clarified, so you went out and started pitching distribution companies without actually doing your second documentary, or did you already have it finished and then you were pitching them to get it picked up? Um, it, for the for surviving sex trafficking, I started um, pitching the teaser and the film was not it was not done yet just to kind of get feelers out there. And I just said, like, hey, we're going to be at picture lock by, you know, this date or we expect to. And then I revisited um, some that were interested. And then I just kept emailing and emailing and emailing. So um, it's a hard process. I know it's it's one of those things because you did this without a producer's rep. You, you you went direct, and so that is very hard because they don't want to necessarily talk to you. So um, your teaser must have been dynamite for them to – for it to catch their attention, you know, to stand out. Yes, and I think also having um, Jeannie Mai Jenkins, she was uh, a TV show on The Real. She was featured in our first film, Stopping Traffic, and then also having Alyssa Milano backing the film as well as an executive producer. So we were able to, I think it just made the pitch that much stronger. Um, however, there were a lot of no's, and that's part of the filmmaking thing. You're going to get about 99.9% .9 no's. Uh, but to get through that, you have to always remain positive, believe in yourself, believe in your message. And, you know, my favorite mantra is just no matter what, you'll figure it out. So, right, right. Well, you know, what you have is the determination, which uh, some filmmakers have and some don't. Some, you know, just can't take the constant no. It's like being an actor, right? You know, the no, 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 no is just one more step closer to a yes if you think of the more positive, you know, spin on that. Yeah. So now you're moving into, or you've moved into another one, another documentary um, that was, um, is for the animals. That's the title. What is that about? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so for the animals, uh, we hope to release it um, this year. We're actually going through the pitching process right now, but for the animals, um, just highlights the the stray animal crisis in Houston. And so um, 
for us um, as monks, our, one of our principles that we practice and live by is nonviolence. And so it's extending compassion to all living beings, not just humans, all living beings. So um, like animals count too. And so um, it was interesting because a few of the supporters um, supported our surviving sex trafficking film. And uh, we connected after um, we finished filming and they pitched their film to us. And we're like, whoa, like it just kind of landed on our plate and they were great individuals and and just learning about the crisis, the problem, and just the pain, all of these animals and the humans that are trying to rescue and make changes that they're going through. It's like we, we couldn't say no to the project. Right. What are What is the current situation um, for these animals that are highlighted? Yeah. So there's about a million stray animals on the streets of Houston and they're not getting spay or neuter there. Um, the shelters are full. Um, rescue groups don't know what to do. And it's just, they're, they're breeding so much. Even if you spay and neuter, they're breeding too much because they're just out on the streets. And so, or with COVID, maybe, you know, there's no resources, so they surrender them or, um, and then they just let them out on the street. So you have all of these animals, cats, dogs, mainly that are just breeding over and over again. They don't have a home to go to. And so, and it's, and it's different pockets of Houston. Um, and so I think there's such a need for awareness because if people are responsible and have the resources and know, so then we can start reducing those numbers. So then that means there's less suffering and pain for the animals and the humans. Is there a way or is there a, through your uh, discovery and research uh, on this film, is there a way for people in other states to adopt, um, you know, some of these since their shelters are, you know, impacted um, and overfilled? Yes, one of the uh, things we cover um, is uh, Houston Pets that's transport. And so they transport animals to places like Minnesota. So what's the thing with Houston is it's great weather. So that's why they're constantly breathing. Whereas um, you know, up in Minnesota or the colder states, they don't have access to to animals, right? Especially when it's cold. So, so they, so, so um, Houston Pets that transports animals, the ones that they rescue, or they partner with different rescue groups to um, start bringing Houston um, animals to different parts of the world, right? Or to right. the United States, right? Mm -hmm. um, what is the most challenging part of filmmaking for you? Ooh, that's a, that is the question. Um, you know, I think it's always, I guess the storytelling aspect, because when we go into a project and all of our projects, um, we don't know what story we're going to tell. So everything's kind of like on the go. <clears throat> and it's when we get to the editing stage and we're like, okay, we got all of this footage. What is the strongest story to tell that is that also has that human interest, that human emotion that brings some form of healing or some kind of inspiration or where there's some kind of personal work that needs to happen. Because for our films, it's not only just the social issue, it's actually the spiritual aspect as well. So for even for surviving sex trafficking or stopping traffic, um, you know, identifying pain, but there's hope to heal your pain. And it's not just survivors or victims, pain is universal. So, I mean, it, it's, 
because I think a lot of the times we feel disconnected from our subjects like, oh, they've gone through something so traumatic or it's so unrelatable. But then when you come to that human, everybody has pain and, and bring that into the film um, and the messaging. So then we then we're all connected. So like for 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 the animals, everybody's going to be able to connect because they, a lot of people have their own pets or the, a lot, you know, where you know, where they live, they're going to maybe think about it. So for us, it's having that, that human aspect, that spiritual aspect, and that social is issue aspect. What would be a piece of advice that you would um, give to somebody who is now trying to be a first time documentarian? What can you give them either inspirationally or something that you've learned along the path that you can share? The biggest thing is I think um, people need to believe in themselves and follow your heart. Um, everybody else is going to tell you how you want, you know, how you should tell your story and what, you know, technically how things are supposed to happen and all of these things. But in the end, have peace with your own heart, have peace with your own self in the work you do and in the message that you're trying to share. And because no matter what, you're already successful. So I think that that is the biggest thing. Well, that's a dirty little secret right there <laughs> is, 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 you know, is, is keeping that in mind. Uh, where do you see yourself in the next five years? Where do you want to go? What do you want to do? What is next for the monk? Actually, um, it wasn't too long ago that um, this idea popped into my mind to have um, a spiritual TV show featuring my teacher. So it's more of like a spiritual Dr. Phil. So at the retreat center, we have a lot of people that, of course, come for the classes, but then they have these consultations with my teacher. And similar to what I went through coming back from Iraq, having these consultations with him saved my life. And so um, we're just generating ideas right now for a pilot season of 10 episodes uh, featuring my teacher and some guests just diving deep into their personal issues or, or spiritual questions. And so um, he can guide them just like he did me. So bringing it to YouTube. Nice, nice. Um, I, I wanna see that. <laughs> Um, definitely want to see that. What parting words can you uh, bestow upon us um, that you've learned along your travels in your life, in your spiritual, in your documentarian uh, filmmaking that may um, guide somebody who's listening into the podcast? I'd say there's three steps. First, one, first is to believe in yourself and second, trust yourself. And then third, know yourself, because those are different stages. When you're believe, you're starting to believe in yourself, you know, there's there's a hope, there's an inspiration inside of you, but sometimes people can kind of knock you down in that stage. But if you stay on your path, whether it's spiritual, personal transformation, whatever you want to call it, it's the same thing. Um, and you start to just go deeper within yourself, overcome your fears, overcome your emotions, let go of the things that no longer serve you. So then you begin to trust yourself even more. And then people will challenge you less. People will affect you less. And the stronger you get within yourself and you develop what I call like a soul confidence. And then basically you become unshakable because nobody can stop you. Um, and that's, there's so much freedom in that. And then it's going to that last layer, which is truly knowing your absolute self. And that's where you taste your 
your true freedom, your true peace, that true unconditional love for yourself. And when you feel so connected with yourself, you'll automatically feel connected with the rest of the world. And you'll see that as you change yourself, you change the world. There's, there's no difference between you or any other living being. And within that, bringing that, imagine bringing that to filmmaking or speaking or writing or any creative thing or to your family or to your child or you're coming from a different space. And I think the more we have people who feel that freedom within themselves, the more they can shine a light in this world. Brilliant. Um, I want to thank you so much for coming on Best and Fest. How can people, if they're interested in in um, participating in your ashram in Texas, where and how would they do that? Website. Thank you, Leslie. Yes, um, our website is siddhaitan.org, S-I-D-D-H-A-Y-A-T-A-N.org. And uh, we're located outside of Dallas, Texas. And our retreat is called Siddhaitan Tirth and Spiritual Retreat Center. Awesome. I want to thank you again for coming on Best and Fest. I really look forward to seeing uh, your documentary about the animals coming out soon, uh, Knocking on Wood. And... Um, Again, thank you for coming on Best in Fest. For all those that want to um, look at the video component, you can uh, do so on the LaFemme uh, YouTube channel. Uh, don't forget to rate us on um, all your podcast platforms. Thank you, Sadvi Sadali Shri, for coming on. Thank you, Leslie. Best in Fest.